Good morning. How are y'all? Good, good. Y'all are awake. This is great. Listen, uh, my name is Fred. Uh, I get to be the lead pastor here, and I am uh, so excited to have y'all here with us, whether you're joining uh, here in person or whether you're joining online. I've been praying the same thing uh, for all of us, that we leave today with more faith and trust in Jesus than we had when we came in. And today, you might notice, like spread out in the middle, we've got um, some new faces. Uh, these are all uh, summer staff from uh, Camp Crestridge and Ridgecrest. Last week, we got to pray for uh, people that were working at camps all over. But I also thought, since y'all are here, let us pray for y'all. Um, because y'all are about to enter into a really, really, really cool, hard frustrating, awesome summer. Uh, and um, all the things is what you're going to experience. And so we want to pray for you. So if you're at Red Crest Ridge or, or Ridge Crest, would you stand up? Um, and I will pray for y'all in church if you, would, if you would just join me in this. Father, um, these uh, folks, man, they are about to, to follow you. They are about to point uh, kids and students of all ages to you, um, and it is a very noble and exhausting task that's ahead of them. And so, Father, I pray uh, that you would capture their hearts this summer. I pray that they would not get confused about their work this summer is to pour out. Their work this summer is to let you pour into them. And as you do that, it will overflow to those who, who are being entrusted into their care. And so I pray for each one of these folks here that they will leave this summer um, knowing Jesus deeper and better and trusting you in areas of their life that they are still holding on to that they don't even know that they're holding on to yet. And so, Father, would you set them free? Would you um, uh, make them better? Would you heal them? Um, and would you show them your grace? In Christ's name I pray, amen. Thanks, y'all. Have a seat. All right. <clears throat> um, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be in verses 13 through 33. If you have your Bible, you can open it there. Um, if you need a Bible, there's some in the back that we can get for you. Or we're also on the Bible app. Um, so you can look at it there on your phone. If you click under events in Fellowship Asheville, uh, we're there too. But y'all, I got to tell you, I had, as you're turning there, I had something happen last week that like doesn't happen hardly at all. And when it does um, it kind of strikes fear into people. You know what happened? Somebody knocked on our door, like unannounced, right? Like we didn't know them. It wasn't a neighbor. Like we had no idea who this was. And I know typically when that happens, like you turn the TV off, you tell the kids to get quiet and hide and kind of act like you're not home, right? Uh, but I was having a rather brave moment and decided to open the door and find out who was on the other side because where we live now, unfortunately, there is a window right by the front door. So he saw we were there. So I stepped outside and uh, lo and behold, it was a, a guy who is a candidate running for office for local office here. And so he was old school, knocking on doors, talking to people. 
And so uh, I engaged in conversation with him. I thought this could be interesting. And so we did like, we, we talked about, you know, where do we move here from? How long have we been in Asheville? How much we love Asheville? We talked about our dogs, you know, like typical Asheville conversation, right? And then all of a sudden it changed and it changed from a conversation to a speech, right? Like I'm not sure what happened, but it went from this dialogue that I thought was going pretty well, to all of a sudden it was this monologue. And he started telling me everything that he was standing for, everything that he was standing against. Y'all, he dropped all the, bud, all the buzzwords. He was uh, going to be part of fixing all the problems that are wrong with Asheville, North Carolina, the United States, and ultimately the world. Right? He was, he was fully invested. Right? And he just, he just laid it all out. Have you ever been in conversations like this where all of a sudden it switches from a, a, a dialogue to a monologue? Right? Like, kids, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but have you ever been having a conversation with your parents and all of a sudden that happens? All of a sudden it turns into a speech, right? You thought you were having a conversation, you thought this was good, and then all of a sudden it turns, right? Have you ever been with your boss and that happened? Like, a, hey, how are you doing turns into what you need to be doing, right? Like, conversations like that are exhausting. And with this guy, what was interesting is as he, as he, as he told uh, all the things that, that, that he felt like I needed to know, as he walked away, he finally addressed, like, one topic that we never actually talked about. And as we walked away, he goes, you know what? Next time I probably should ask what you think. Right? I was like, yeah, that'd be, that'd be good. Unfortunately for him, there won't be a next time. He didn't win anything. But, um, unless he runs again. But, <laughs> here's what happened. He, in this conversation, like many people today, he wanted me to know two things. He wanted me to know this. He wanted me to know what he was for and what he was against. And he wanted to leave that conversation having clearly articulated those things. Because here's what he knew. He knew that if I was for and against the same things, I would vote for him. Now, he also knew if I wasn't for and against the same things, I wouldn't vote for him, right? But for and against is something we all want to know. Like when we walk into a group of people, a lot of times we want to know, what is this group of people for or against? Are they for and against the same things that I am for and against? Like, like, do you remember walking into the school cafeteria? For some of you, this was like on Friday, and you walk in, right? And, and, and if you're new to a school in particular, you walk into this, to this group of people, and you're trying to figure out who's for and against the same things I'm for and against, right? You, you look at what they're wearing, because that's usually a pretty good clue, right? Right? Are they still in their pajamas in high school? Because they might be for and against the same things I'm for and against, Right? Right? Are they all dressed up? Like, like what are people for and against? Maybe if, you're, if you've joined a growth group, so that's our small groups here at Fellowship, if you joined a, for, a, a growth group, like you're sitting in this group and you stay kind of quiet in the beginning, right? Because you're assessing who's for and against the same things I'm for and against. And when you kind of experience the culture of the group, you finally speak up about something that you know the group will agree on for and against. Or if you have a certain uh, personality, you finally speak up just to rile them up and speak about something you know everybody's against, right? Just to see what happens. Sometimes I do that. 
because it's fun for me. I've learned as I've matured that's not fun for everybody, but um, it's, 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 it's fun for me, right? Or maybe you wonder that about church. Like you've walked in here and you're wondering what we are for and against. Are we for and against the same things you are? But what if, the question for today, what if being for and against the same thing isn't the right question? What if there's actually a better question, right? What if us being in agreement about what we're for and against isn't the best question? What if, what if there's a better question? Well, this is what we get to see today as we go through the book of Mark, as we continue our study. And let's see what Jesus has to say about being for and against. All right, so let's look at verse 13. Chapter 2, verse 13 says this. And he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. So, so this is Jesus, right? Jesus is, is, is teaching, and he's walking through the crowd. He, he walks, and he sees this guy, Levi, and, and Levi's a tax collector, and Jesus looks at him and says, follow me, and, and he does, Right now, now a little bit about tax collectors. If if, if you're new to kind of the culture of the Bible and, and Jesus's culture, tax collectors. If you were a good Jewish person, you didn't like tax collectors because here's what a tax collector was. It was typically a Jewish person that worked for Rome. Rome was the dominating power over over Israel at the time, and so they worked for Rome, making sure Jewish people paid their taxes to Rome. But it wasn't uncommon for a tax collector to charge a little bit more, right, and pad their pockets. They were also kind of the spies for Rome sometime. Like, like if, if, if Rome questioned what someone was doing, they knew the tax collector was out in the community and saw people. And so they put pressure on the tax collectors to kind of spill their beans about what they know. And so, so, so if, if you were a good Jewish person, when you saw a tax collector, you didn't have any question if y'all were for and against the same thing. There was no doubt. Y'all were against uh, completely. Y'all were for and against completely different things, right? But Jesus did something scandalous. What he did is he went up to this guy that all his community would have said, don't go near him right? Jesus goes up to him and interacts with him and invites him to learn from Jesus. He invites him to be part of this, of this new community. And, and, and what I love about Levi here is that without hesitation, at least the way Mark describes it, without hesitation, Levi says yes. Now, here's what's interesting about Levi's decision. Right? Jesus has said this before to people. He has said it to fishermen, right? He's looked at them and said, come follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. And so they, they packed up and they went with Jesus. Now, here's the deal, though. Fishermen can always return to the sea and fish. And as we go through Mark, we'll actually see them do that. When Levi says yes to following Jesus, it's a no-return commitment. When he walked out of that booth as a tax collector, Rome would not have him back again because Rome would now see him as a traitor. And so him saying yes to Jesus. It, was this, it wasn't this, this, this quick, I'm not going to think about this because it doesn't have any consequences decision. It was this real commitment in spite of the consequences that he knew that would happen. You see, Levi understood that following Jesus meant Jesus or nothing. That if this thing with Jesus doesn't work out, I've got nothing. 
And in spite of that, he said yes to Jesus. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 says this. Um, Where's verse 15? There it is. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And so, so, so what happens, a part of Levi's decision to follow Jesus was like, yes, I will follow you. As a matter of fact, come over to my house. And let's have a meal together. And, and, and Levi invited his friends there that were also tax collectors and sinners. Now, here's the deal about meals in ancient Jewish time, right? Like, meals meant something. Like, we go out and have meals, and we'll drive through the drive through and eat in our car, right? We'll sit at a restaurant literally feet away from a complete stranger and not even interact or dialogue because we're there to eat. But meals in the Jewish uh, uh, way of thinking in the Jewish culture meant that the people you sat at the table with, you trusted them, you were friends with them, you considered them family. And so when Jesus sits down at this table in the tax collector's home with other tax collectors and sinners, and, and the, a good Jewish person will look at that and go like, he is, he is crazy, right? A typical Jewish person would definitely say they are against what Jesus is doing. And so to help us understand what this would be like, let me, let me ask you this person. What type of person would cause you to have like a second look if they walked in here? Right, y'all know what I'm talking about, a second look type person? Right, it's the person that you see and you're like, oh, particularly in church, you're like, what, what are they doing here? Right, like maybe it's that, that person at school with that really bad reputation, Right? And you know not to associate with them or the people they associate with. What would you do if they walked in? Right? What if it's a, a person that experiences homelessness, that you can smell them before you see them? Right? What about that as a second glance person? What is a person who reeks of alcohol? What if a, what if a gay couple walked in here holding hands? Is that your kind of second glass? What if, what if this? What if, what if a person um, uh, transitioning from, from, from male to female or female to male walked in here in the midst of their transition? Would that cause you to second look? What if this? What if a drag queen walked in here in full makeup? How would that make you feel? See, it's that feeling that these Pharisees feel when they see Jesus with people just like that, right? And that feeling is what spurs this on. Look at verse 16. It says in, uh, let's see, verse 16. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, said to the disciples, why does he eat with the tax collectors and sinners? Why Why is he with them? Right? The implication is he's supposed to be with people like us. Why is he with them? And listen, the Pharisees, like, like 
I know the Pharisees get a bad rap, but, but, but they understood the scriptures to say that if you follow God, like your job is to live a holy life. Like Leviticus 19.2 says, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Psalm 1.1, like, like the way that their songbook opened up, right? It said, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Y'all, they had, they had Bible verses to back up this question, right? That if this guy Jesus says he's the Messiah, what's he doing with them? Because God's word says he's not supposed to be with them. He's supposed to be with us, right? And that gets them kind of a bad rap when we read the scriptures. But here's the deal we have to understand about Jesus. Jesus loves the Pharisees. And he wants them to see who he is because in seeing who he is, they see who God is. Right? And in seeing him, they see the kingdom of God. But unfortunately, what we see in the Pharisees is this. Is that it's possible for our interpretation of the Bible to overpower the truth of Jesus. Like, let that sit down for a minute, right? Like, like it's possible for our interpretation of the Bible to overpower the truth of Jesus. And that's what's happening with the Pharisees. They understand the Bible to say one thing, and they're sitting in the presence of God, and he's showing them something different than their interpretation. And so Jesus responds to them, and he says this. In verse 17, he says, And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but who? The sinners. Right? Now this verse is often seen as Jesus' mission statement. Right, that he came to, to connect with and to eat with and to save sinners. But you see, the Pharisees wondered this about Jesus. They wondered, is Jesus for and against the people we are for and against? Right? And their interpretation of the Bible led them uh, to believe that Jesus would be for and against the same people they are for and against, that, that he would be for the righteous and he'd be against the sinners, right? He'd be for the Pharisees and against the tax collectors. He would be for the good behaving people and against the bad behaving people. But here's what Jesus does. He flips this understanding completely upside down. And he lets them know that he is for any person who needs him. He is for all people who need him. He is for any person that will sit at a table with him. That is the person that Jesus is for. That Jesus is really for anyone who needs him. You see, when you're sick, you call a doctor, you make an appointment, maybe in person, maybe telehealth, whatever, and off you go. If you aren't sick, you don't need a doctor. Y'all, this is an important distinction in what Jesus is doing. Because the Pharisees were for anyone who looked holy on the outside. The Pharisees were for anyone who followed the rules. Right? Now, to the camp staff, let me tell you, y'all are going to have some black sheep of the family show up this summer. Right? You're going to have kids who don't follow the rules, and they're going to drive you crazy. 
But remember, Jesus loves them. And your job is to point them to Jesus. For those of us not at camp, to those of us who have kids, like we, we, we have that child probably, don't we? Right? Our job is to point them to Jesus. Right? Our job is to show them that they need Jesus. They don't need us. They need Jesus. God has put us there to help guide them and shape them. But at the end of the day, they need Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is for anyone who needs him. You see, Jesus, he, saying this, it spurred on this other question. Like, like, okay, okay, all right. You're for the people that need you. I get that. But what about the rules, Right? What about the people who just do bad things? What about the people who just do wrong things? Right? Well, look at this in verse 18. It says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Now, it's believed that this wasn't a specific fast, like outlined in the, in the Old Testament. This was a fast that, that, that the Pharisees did as, as just extra fast. This is the fast that, that, that John's disciples did as just an extra fast. And, and the people are looking, going, okay, how, how come they fast, right? But guess who's not fasting? Look at the rest of verse 18. It says, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were, were fasting, and the people came to him. Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? In other words, uh, the, the, the question, right, is Jesus' disciples weren't following the rules that John's disciples followed. Jesus' disciples weren't following the rules that the Pharisees followed, Right? And so the people now have this for and against question. What, what strikes me as interesting, and I don't quite know how to apply this, but, but first it was the Pharisees asking the question. Now it's the people in general asking the question. And I think there's a flow there that we need to pay attention to. I just don't know what it means, to be honest, except for the fact that it looks like these questions are spreading. And so Jesus not only loves the Pharisees, he loves the people that ask these questions. And their question is this, Jesus, are you for and against the same rules that we're for and against? Because listen, if Jesus is for and against the same rules we're for and against, it sure does make following him a whole lot easier, doesn't it? But if he's not for and against the same rules we're for and against, well, following Jesus is going to be a little bit harder, right? And again, Jesus reframes the question a better way. Look at what he says in verse 19. In verse 19, it says this, And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. All right now, let's talk about a wedding for just a minute. I, I don't, I, <clears throat> when I think about the weddings that I've been to and the weddings that I've got to officiate, I don't even know how many there have been. But let me tell you what I've seen happen at weddings. All right? Um, I have seen a dog carry the rings down. Super cute, and it worked, right? I have seen a groom ugly face cry, right? Like when he sees his bride, like completely lose all control and cry, which made all of us cry. I have seen a groom leave to go get his bride and bring her in to represent Jesus pursuing the church and bringing her in. That was a little shocking for the congregation, 
when the groom just left, right? And then they had this moment back there, you know, where he sees her for the first time. So they're having, and we're all like, I mean, I knew, but, but everybody was like, what's going on right now? Right? But remember, there's a part of me that enjoys stirring up some tension, so I just let it resolve itself. Right? I've also seen a bride eight months pregnant waddle down the aisle. Right? I have seen the mother of the brides throw a temper tantrum. Right? Like literally, I had to stand between her and her daughter and say, today's not about you. It's about her, so I'm going to need you to go to a different room. I'll do it again at your wedding if you want. All right, so just take note. <clears throat> I have seen wedding cakes fall over. I have seen bridal veils catch on fire. Right? Y'all, I got to do a superhero wedding once. I had a couple that was engaged, sweet, sweet, sweet couple. And they came up to share their excitement with me that they were engaged. And they came up to ask me if I would do their wedding. I said, yes. And he goes, and could you do it in a Batman costume? (laughs) And I said, no. (laughs) No. Um, Although I do have a friend in California that designs uh, like high-end nerdwear. And he does have a black blazer with the Batman logo, kind of the seam of it. And I was like, oh, perfect opportunity for me to buy it. But... I went ahead and set the expectation, no, I'm not dressing in a Batman costume, to which the person standing behind them, when they left, the person standing behind them was like, hey, I've got a Captain America costume, if you want that, (laughs) to which I said, now I've got questions about you. Like, why do you have a Captain America costume? But I'll tell you, the, the, the wedding, I cried in the wedding. It was the sweetest. They ended up not dressing in costumes, by the way. They had belt buckles of superheroes and all this stuff. It was very, they, they, Turned it down a little bit. Not because of me. I was willing to, to, to do. But it was the sweetest, sweetest wedding. Because here's what I've seen in all of those. In all of those different types of weddings, there's one prevailing emotion centered between the bride and the groom, and that is joy. Unspeakable, un- oftentimes felt before at this level, joy. And I always tell couples when I'm doing premarital, I'm like, listen, something's going to happen at your wedding. I don't know what it is, but something's going to happen. And my job is at the end of the day to make sure your husband and wife, that's what happens. And there is joy, like unspeakable joy between the two of them. You see, what Jesus is doing here is he wants the people. He wants the people seeing this. He wants them to know that the Savior that they have been waiting for, the Messiah that the nation of Israel has been waiting for is here that they are the bride, he is the groom, and the emotion now is joy, right? Because fasting is often associated with grief and sadness. I mean, I mean, of course it is, because when you fast, you get hungry, and when you're hungry, you get sad, right? Like, like, like that's what fasting is. And Jesus is saying there is a time for that, but that time isn't right now, because now joy is the appropriate response, And so Jesus is letting them know something about rules. He's letting them know about rules that he's for and against, and it's this, that Jesus is for any practice that brings you closer to him, right? Jesus is for any practice that brings you closer to him. Some of us here love journaling. 
Some of us here love drawing. Some of us here love reading. Some of us here love listening to the Bible be read to us. Like, like there's all these different types of ways, of ways to, to bring you closer to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, hey, whatever that way is, that's what I'm for. You know, I may have questions about this, and I get it. I do too. And so did the people and those with Jesus, which is why he says this in verse 21. He says, no one sews a piece of unshrunken cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away. The new from the old, the worse, uh, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins. And the wine is destroyed and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Right now, we don't make wine. We don't. We probably never put them in skins. Our fabric is fine if we sew a new piece on there. Like, like, like there's stuff that's very different in our world from from their world. But for those listening to Jesus' words, they understood what he meant. Right? What he said made perfect sense. They understood Jesus' meaning that you can't mix the old with the new. Right? And what he's talking about. The kingdom that he's talking about, this relationship with him that he's talking about is something brand new. And he's telling them you can't live in a new kingdom with old rules, right? He's bringing a brand new kingdom into play. He's bringing a brand new type of relationship with God that's through him, that you don't go to the temple to worship God and feel God's presence. You can feel the presence of God no matter where you are when you are with Jesus. You see, you can't have a new kingdom and old rules. And he's letting them know that life with him is going to be a brand new experience. Making it even more important to be for what Jesus is for. Right? To be for needing him in your life. To be for practices and habits and disciplines that draw you closer to him. Right now, if you're listening or watching or you're sitting here right now and you thought that Christianity was about rules and you thought Christianity was about good behavior, maybe you've even thought Christianity is about being against pretty much everything, right? The the common person can tell you what the church is against much more than they can tell you what the church is for. That's our fault. We've, We've been against a whole lot and we haven't done good about being for the things that Jesus is for. Right? But maybe for you, that's what you thought this whole invitation to, to follow Jesus and to be with Jesus is. Right? Listen, I've got some really good news for you, and it's this is that Christianity isn't about rules. Christianity isn't about being against everything. Right? Christianity is about Jesus. Period. Christianity is about Jesus. You see, no matter what age you are, no matter matter where you come from, Christianity is about Jesus and nothing else. Now, if this sounds like something that you can give your life to, to saying yes to Jesus, to following him, to learning from him, If this sounds like something you can give your life to, then maybe you can be like Levi, who at the very beginning of this, of our sermon today, who Jesus said, follow me, and he said what? He said, okay, let's do this, right? 
Because Jesus is inviting all of us to do the same thing. He's inviting all of us to learn together from him. Now, if we do have a prayer team that, that is here and there in the back, and if you would like them to pray for you and pray over you, they would be glad to do that. And this invitation, it is for those who haven't said yes to Jesus, but I gotta tell you, it's also for those who have said yes to Jesus. Not in a salvific way, right? Right? If you said yes to Jesus, you are saved. He has paid for the penalty of your sins and the power of those sins no longer binds you. But Jesus' invitation still stands. Will you follow him today? Right? Or will you go to the old rules that don't work in a new kingdom? Will you live today in the new kingdom that Jesus has ushered you in? And, 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 and fellowship, let me, let me encourage you in this. Because part of this sermon is, is how a church responds, right? Like if I was given this at a church I didn't know, I would ask them, you know, how do you respond to people that walk in that are obviously different from you? But I have seen you like love on people that look different and that act different. As a matter of fact, I've seen you swarm them. Back off just a little, <laughs> right? This is, the, this is the application not every church gets, right? Right, I've seen you swarm them. If you see two or three people talking to them, that's good. Catch them next week, all right? All right, like, 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 like give them some space. Give them some space. But I've seen you love them so well. And I've seen you not be intimidated of the second glance. I've seen you not be afraid to reach out to the person who's, who's vastly and radically different. Right? Don't ever stop welcoming the new and different to walk alongside Jesus with you. That's what makes a church a church. But for you personally, let me ask you this. What can you do today to draw closer to Jesus? Right, we're doing a, a summer book club on the ruthless elimination of hurry by John Mark Comer. You know what that joker asked us to do? Put our phones down for 24 hours. We talked about that as a group, and y'all, you could feel the panic in the group. Right? Imagine, imagine if you put your phone down for 24 hours and walked in the woods and prayed. Walked in the woods, not with, not with, you know, not things in your ears, listening, though, to the sounds that God has made. You know what would happen? You would draw close to Jesus. Maybe listen to worship music. Whatever it is, that's our application today, is to do more of that. Whatever it is that draws you closer to Jesus, do more of that. I know you're busy. We're all busy. Do more of that. Let's pray. Jesus, you are a very, very good God to us. And, and, and I, I love going through the book of Mark and seeing who you are, seeing uh, who Jesus is, seeing who the kingdom, seeing what the kingdom of God is like, because it's so radical. It's, it's so radical to me. And I've been, I've been walking and following uh, you for years, and it's still new and fresh. Because Jesus, that's the way you are. And so for, for all of us, I pray that you would show us who you are and show us how we can be more with you. In Christ's name I pray, amen.